chapter 19 is our sermon text for this morning. Come to the beloved story of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. We also look forward tonight as we are blessed with the ministry of our own Reverend Blau as he preaches and leads our worship services this evening. We look forward to that, where, Lord willing, we will gather back together this evening. For now, let's consider Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, final authority for us in faith and in life. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything... I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Going out on top... This is something that athletes and many other people dream about, that your crowning achievement would be that which happens right at the end. Uh, My childhood hero, Michael Jordan, had this happen, and then, of course, his ego was too big to stay away from the game, and so he came back and played a couple of seasons that most Chicago fans would prefer to forget. Other athletes have have had this happen, though. Seemingly, their greatest moment is that which happens right at the end. But too often, it goes the other way. You hang around too long, you try for too long, and you find out that you're no longer uh, playing at the level that you once were. Jesus' life story is one that uh, the, the, the climactic finish is unparalleled. But today, there's something interesting uh, about the, the arc of the Gospel of Luke, really the, the way the Gospel of Luke progresses, because this is Jesus going out on top in terms of conversion stories. This is the, the last conversion story that we have in the Gospel of Luke, and the crowning achievement of Jesus has been saved for the end, the conversion of an arch sinner, a, a, a prototype sinner, in Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. And that's what we see today, and uh, we are glad to look at this passage together. Here's our life-transforming reality. 
this morning. To realize your need for grace means to abandon all lesser troubles and to find deliverance. But the great joy of knowing grace is knowing that it is the Savior, it is Jesus who seeks, who finds, who calls, and who saves. Jesus is the one who seeks, who calls, who finds, and who saves. This is, as I said, the final conversion story. In Luke, it puts unadulterated, sheer grace right in front of us for our joy as we see the saving of Zacchaeus in order to show us that there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in us. There is more grace in Christ than there is sin in us. We'll look at all the characters of this story. The sinner, the slanderers, and the Savior. The sinner, the slanderers, and the Savior. First, then we look at the sinner, Zacchaeus. He's not just a sinner, he is short and small-minded. So, a short and a small-minded sinner. Going to be a lot of S words today to hopefully help us remember. A short and a small-minded sinner. Jesus continues his journey. He is making his way, of course, to Jerusalem, and he is passing through Jericho. Jericho was the site of the, the last passage we looked at in Luke with the blind beggar who cries out to Jesus. Jesus is continuing his journey to Jerusalem, and the pace for that is going to start to quicken as we work through the rest of the gospel together. But we meet, we meet perhaps the main character of today's story along with Jesus, and that is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus would be a derivative form of the name Zechariah, which is a name which means pure or innocent. That name is ironic because this Zacchaeus is anything but pure or innocent, and we find that out pretty early. We know that because of his occupation and because of his net worth. He is a chief tax collector. So this means that he wouldn't be like Matthew, Matthew who became a disciple of Jesus. He was a lower rung tax collector, which means he would be the kind of tax collector who would sit at a toll booth and collect tolls from people as they pass by. But he would be the kind of person who would then bring those taxes to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus would be able to sort of sit in the comfort of a room or an office as all of the lower-rung tax collectors bring what they have collected to him. So if tax collectors are despised, right, they've, they are seen as uh, traitors to their own people, people of Jewish bloodline who have bought the right to tax uh, their own people from the Roman Empire, seen as traitors, chief tax collectors are going to be uh, most hated by all, And in this kind of a line of work, you don't get to the top by remaining clean. So certainly we know all, or we can assume all kinds of things about Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. He's also rich. How does a tax collector get rich? Well, a tax collector got rich, of course, by overcharging on taxes and then skimming off the top for himself. So if you think of someone like Matthew, who was the one actually collecting the tolls as people came by, he would have to think in his mind, okay, here's what Zacchaeus normally takes. And so in order to cover what Zacchaeus is normally going to take and then to leave some for me, to skim some off the top for me because I'm not a tax collector for nothing then I need to make all of those adjustments. So you can see how the greedier people got, the more and more taxes would skyrocket. And you can see how this would be very oppressive for people, very burdensome for people, and indeed why they would have despised these tax collectors. So Luke is telling us, he's saying, know and realize that this Zacchaeus 
know how he has gotten rich, know who he is, and understand how he would be perceived as just the worst of sinners by everyone around him and indeed by himself. But then we we have this interesting description of his stature. It says that he is, he's short and he's short. He's not able to see over the crowds even though he's interested in Jesus coming by here. Now this makes us realize something because this wouldn't be like going to the Netherlands and being caught behind a bunch of towering tall people. Back then in this part of the world, people really weren't that tall. And so Zacchaeus, we, we need to assume he would have been extremely small, very small for a person. And there's something more going on here than just the description of his height. And what is that? Well, In that time and in that part of the world, there would be these connections made between the physical traits of someone and the invisible realities of who they are on the inside. So, for example, in chapter 13, if you remember, there was a woman who had a a chronic back condition who was bent over and, and stooped down because she couldn't straighten up because of her back. And what would have happened in that time... And in that part of the world is that people would have looked at someone who had that kind of a problem and they would have assumed that that tells them something about the character of this woman. That she would have been someone with a lowly character. She would have been someone who who had no reason to stand up straight. Conversely, if you see a, a big strong man with broad shoulders, a strong back and a strong chest, he stands up straight because he has firm and deep character, and is someone to be admired. This is the way that people thought in those days, and oftentimes what Luke is doing is he's deconstructing all of those assumptions in the minds and the hearts of his audience in order to show them this is not how you can think about the blessing of God. But they would think about short or small people in all kinds of ways. Smallness or shortness would be associated with a smallness of spirit. There's a shortness to their character. So there's an early church father who's preaching on Zacchaeus, and he picks up on this. This is the way people would have thought. He says this, Zacchaeus was short of stature, not merely in bodily point of view, but also spiritually. Shortness would also be associated with greed, which fits the bill here. There's a, a shortness of character, an inability to see the futility of riches, and so you lust after money. Also a small-mindedness that, that fits the bill here as well. Zacchaeus knew that people despised him. Zacchaeus knew that people had a low opinion of him, and, and he was frankly laughing all of the way to the bank. He said, I'm not going to care about that. I might as well get rich if people are going to think about me in these ways. So Zacchaeus being a wee little man is not a a cuteness factor here. It is meant to show us that this man is the foremost of sinners and that people would have looked at him and they would have despised him. They would have thought about him as, as lacking any kind of righteousness or goodness and he is of course presented or prevented from seeing Jesus and so in verse 4 we come to the famous part of the story that uh, that all of us know very well the first part is that he runs ahead he runs ahead now remember what we have just learned right Zacchaeus is abnormally short he's probably uh, you know he's obviously small in stature has short limbs probably clumsy and unathletic this would this would not have been like a a gazelle 
running through the desert, right? Again, as, as those who come, many of you come from, from Dutch lineage, this is something that's going to be hard for you to understand. We've all watched the Winter Olympics where the Netherlands dominate everyone else in the world. You have these graceful athletes with these long strides, six foot five inch men, six foot two inch women dominating. It would be the exact opposite here for Zacchaeus. His running ahead of people would have been mock-worthy or cringe-worthy. It would have been reason for people to laugh at him. But what's amazing is that we see Zacchaeus does not care, obviously. It's perhaps where his small-mindedness would come into play positively for him. He doesn't care what people think. And, And something has happened in the heart of Zacchaeus. What's going on? Beyond just his small-mindedness, why is he desperate to see Jesus? I think it's pretty clear that we're meant to connect this story, the, the chief tax collector, we're meant to connect it to chapter 18 with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Of course, the Pharisee and the tax collector go to the temple to pray. The Pharisee comes and he says, I'm so glad, God, I thank you that I'm not like this man. I'm not like this tax collector. I, I do this and I do that. And, and really, he's, he's giving God the credit. He's, thank, thank you, God, for making me the way that you have. You, you were so wise when you made me. See, in that time, no one would have put up an argument against or for the righteousness of a tax collector. Tax collectors knew how they were perceived They knew they were perceived as sellouts and they were probably okay with that. This is my lot in life. I've chosen this path in order to become rich. I'm going to enjoy my riches and not going to worry about the fact that people have painted me as a sinner. So that's going on in the heart of Zacchaeus. And that really is what's driving him to see Jesus. This brings out other aspects, other nuances of salvation. Really we see the joy, the reckless abandon of those who have faith, of those who have faith and repentance. But ultimately, God has been working in the heart of Zacchaeus to bring him to a realization of the guilt and the weight of his sin. And so he's abandoning all lesser troubles here. To know grace, to know your need for grace, is to abandon all lesser troubles and your need for deliverance comes front and center. The most important thing and it cannot, cannot be supplanted by anything. So does Zacchaeus running look ridic- ridiculous? You bet it does. Would people have been laughing at Zacchaeus because he's running on ahead, this short little man that's being blocked off by all the people? See, they would have made room for him to come through if he would have had any uh, status, if he would have had any respect. But they're blocking him off. So he's running ahead. Are they mocking him? Sure. But what is he showing us? He's showing us the picture of prizing Christ above all else. This is something that we've seen in the Gospel of Luke. And and it clues us in to what is going on in the story of Zacchaeus. See, we're not reading about Zacchaeus' faith. We're not hearing about Zacchaeus' faith. We are seeing it on display. He is putting on display the heart of someone who is being changed by grace and who is coming to faith and repentance. Prizing Christ above all. This is something that we have, have seen in the Gospel of Luke. For instance, just previously in chapter 18, the blind beggar, remember he's crying out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what are the people telling him around him? Quiet down. Quiet. Jesus can't be bothered with you. He's abandoning the, the, the lesser trouble of worrying about what other, other people think Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Chapter 8, the woman with the, the, the chronic flow of blood. Terrible, terrible uh, sickness and affliction that she had experienced for years and years and years. You have this picture of her probably crawling just to grasp onto the tassels of Jesus. Just to grasp on once, knowing, believing that that is where her healing would come. Abandoning all lesser troubles. A woman who probably avoided at all costs going out into public. Been shunned and cut off from the worshiping life of the community. This is prizing Christ above all. And this is what Zacchaeus does. Abandons all lesser troubles. To prize Christ above all. And that brings us, of course, to the the part of the story that we know the best. Zacchaeus climbs a tree. What do we do with this part of the story? Why is it here? Of course, we like the story. Everyone enjoys it. You enjoy singing the song and hearing kids sing the song about Zacchaeus. Who climbs trees? Children climb trees. I tell you, unless you become like one of these children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus is grasping. He's understanding. He comes with empty hands. He brings nothing. He brings nothing to the table. He, he is beginning to grasp this childlike faith. A childlike faith that looks outward. That looks to the one who can save. Who prizes Christ above all. And I was reading a, a book this week. Just a wonderful, wonderful book of comfort. Of the gospel of grace. Richard Sibb's book called The Bruised Reed. Where he, he, he says that the, the mission of Jesus was to, to show us that we are, we're not oaks, right? We're not strong in and of ourselves. We, we are branches on the vine. And we can be bruised by Christ, but he will not break us. He will bruise us in making us to realize our sin, but he will not break us. And he's trying to make us realize that we can only be truly satisfied in Christ. And so he says... He that is bruised will be content with nothing but with mercy from him who has bruised him. That's the picture of faith. Knowing your need for deliverance. Knowing your need for grace. So Zacchaeus shows us this. He disregards all lesser troubles, all lesser worries. He will find satisfaction only in Christ. And he prizes him above all. This is the picture of faith. Faith that looks outward, not that looks inward. Faith that looks outward and trusts in another and rests in the one who is rich in mercy and grace. And that's why we read that Zacchaeus is filled with great joy as Jesus greets him. And so Zacchaeus, come down, he's filled with peace and with joy, with confidence. Even in the midst of knowing, he doesn't come down, he doesn't say, Jesus, do you know who I am? Jesus, do you understand that I'm not just a tax collector, I'm the chief tax collector. He offers up no protests like that. He comes down. He is filled with peace and joy. Peace and joy, two things that uh, Richard Sibbs says are, are the two, or two of the main fruits of Christ's kingdom. Peace and joy. Amidst all other circumstances, he says, if you cannot rejoice in the world, you at least can rejoice in Christ. Remember that. If you have been changed by grace, if you have been saved by grace, if you cannot rejoice in the world... In your circumstances, in what's going on, you can always rejoice in your Savior and in your King. You can trust in Him and rejoice in Him. We see not only faith, but we see repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a turning from and a turning to. Repentance, we read in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is a saving grace. Where a sinner truly senses his sin and he truly apprehends the mercy of God in Christ. And he turns from his sin unto God 
with a full purpose of endeavoring after new obedience. And that's what we see in Zacchaeus. And what's so fascinating about this, this connects us once again to chapter 18 in, in Luke. Luke chapter 18, because the rich ruler was he, was, he was rich, and he says, I've been obedient, Jesus. What do I need to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. He goes away sad. I can't, I, I can't sell all that I have. I can't give away all that I have. I'm too rich. It's too much to give away. Zacchaeus, welcomed by Jesus, transformed by grace, comes down, and even amidst the muttering of the people, he says, I'm going to give away half of what I own to the poor. Just give away half of what I own and I'm going to pay back fourfold anyone I've cheated. In other words, there is very, very little chance that Zacchaeus is going to have anything left over after he is paying people back. Gives away 50% of what he has. The rest is going to need to go to paying back fourfold anyone he's cheated because that's how he's gotten rich. He's gotten rich by cheating people, charging them more on their taxes, skimming some off the top, the chief, the foremost of sinners and tax collectors. So what's so fascinating is that he freely does. See, he's already been accepted by Jesus and he freely does that which the rich ruler could not do in order to attain salvation. Jesus says, you want to attain salvation? Give away all that you have. Rich ruler goes away saddened. Zacchaeus, accepted by Christ, said to be a son of Abraham, In Christ, accepted by him, freely does the very good works that were so burdensome under the law to the rich young ruler. This is what happens in Christ. This is what happens to a life that is transformed by the gospel of grace. Freely we can do that which we never would have done if it meant earning our salvation. It seems contrary to the rational mind. It goes beyond that. It is the grace of God and the transforming power of the grace of God. And back, all the way back in chapter 3, John the Baptist has said, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And that's what Zacchaeus is doing here. The last conversion story of the Gospel of Luke, fulfilling what John the Baptist says all the way back in chapter 3. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It also reminds us of what Jesus has said, that God can raise up stones, the very stones of the earth, be sons of Abraham, this man who was chief tax collector, foremost of sinners, said to be a son of Abraham, his household brought into the covenant through the grace of God. What a great and awesome reality that we see Zacchaeus here uh, experience. Quickly, I'm going to go through the last two. That definitely was going to take up the most of our time, the sinner. We also see the scolders or the slanderers, right? So it's not just slanderers. There's scores of self-righteous slanderers. You see all the S words again. Scores of self-righteous slanderers. They obviously prevent, they've prevented Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. And that tells us something about how they feel about Zacchaeus. And then beyond that, they are grumbling. They are muttering when they see Jesus except this Zacchaeus, whom they think to be a sinner. This word grumbling is something we've seen show up a couple times in the Gospel of Luke. And it's, it's what you're probably thinking. This is what the Israelites would often do in the wilderness. They were angry at the way God was saving them. Angry at the ways of God. Thinking that they could say to God, I know better than you do how you should be saving us. How you should be leading us through the wilderness. 
So this is not, uh, this is not the, the accusing putting on trial that we, see in Ex- or we saw in Exodus chapter 17 last week. This is just complaining about the ways of God. And that is what the people are doing here. Not just the Pharisees. So we're seeing how the tension is mounting. How the, the, the natural human heart is opposed to the grace of God in its natural state. And this is going to lead us to the end of the Gospel of Luke, how you see everyone crying out, all of the crowds crying out, crucify him. It's not just the Pharisees, it's everyone who is gathered here seeing this take place, that this is too much, that Jesus would accept the foremost of sinners, the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, this despicable little man, who just ran ahead looking ridiculous, climbing a tree, and then this Jesus accepts him? Think to yourself whether you have the peace and the joy that Zacchaeus has here in this passage, the confidence to to come down, to be loved by Christ and to love Christ, or the muttering, grumbling, accusing the grace of God, shunning and despising the grace of God. Here's a couple things to help you think through and process whether you're a lover of grace or or a despiser of grace. First, and this one is tough. This one is tough. I realized, shoot on this for a while this week. But uh, by God's grace, he can bring us to this place in our life. Does your sin hurt you more than your trials in life? It's a very tough place to, to be. But God, by his grace, can bring us to the place where we despise our own sin, that which alienates us from God, more than that, uh, the trials through which we have to go in life, the, the, the difficult things through which God brings us, which we so naturally despise and hate. We hate the pain, the suffering, the trials of this life. But by God's grace and knowing the grace of God, we can be brought to the place where we hate our sin more than the trials of this life. Would we rather hear of mercy than a kingdom? The hearing of kingdom and inheritance, all of that is wonderful. But when we're brought to know our sin and we, we do not have any argument against our sin, our, our heart takes greater comfort in mercy. Thirdly, we have poor opinions of ourselves. We think ourselves not even worthy of the ground that we tread on. Low opinions of ourselves. And then finally, as we see, very, very different than the, this, than the crowds today. Low opinions of ourselves. And then toward others, we are not severely critical but are full of sympathy and compassion. That's, that's what it means to, to know grace, to understand grace. I bring nothing. I'm, I'm like a child, childlike faith. I'm not bringing my resume. I'm not bringing my achievements. I'm trusting in the grace of God. And when we do that, then the gospel will become the gospel indeed. The gospel will truly be the best news we have ever heard. If you do not think the gospel is the best news you have ever heard, then you can be absolutely sure that you have not understood it. The gospel must be the gospel indeed, and it must be enough. It must be enough to change and transform us in all of these ways because it brings us to the feet of the Savior. And that'll be our last point this morning. Jesus, the seeker and the Savior. So we think of the song that we love so much or that we love singing with with children anyways it's kind of fun to teach them about the bible story and while i think it misses on some of the the intricate things that we need to notice in this story it does teach us something important to notice about the story of zacchaeus zacchaeus was a wee little man wee little man was he he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the lord he wanted to see but then 
we sort of get off track on that part of the story. You would assume that you read about Zacchaeus going up in the tree and then he looks out to see Jesus. But that's not what happens. Climbs up in the sycamore tree, the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passes that way, he looks up in the tree and he finds Zacchaeus and he calls him by name and he calls him down and he gives him the blessings of salvation. And that brings us to, to this magnificent point that, we, that we, we need to understand and we need to, to hold in our hearts, we need to treasure that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. See, Zacchaeus is seeking something. You see in verse 3, the same, the same verb, to seek. That's there in verse 3. Zacchaeus is seeking something, but Jesus is the one who comes ultimately to seek and to save the lost. Before Zacchaeus was born, God had covenanted together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had covenanted together that the Son would leave heaven's glory to save, to come and to seek and to save that which was lost, even the foremost of sinners, the one who was like Zacchaeus. Jesus says it's the Son of Man who does that. We've been seeing that a couple times recently. Jesus' favorite title for himself. The Son of Man is one who comes to rule the nations. He rules the nations. And yet, though all of the peoples of the earth will one day pay homage to the Son of Man, he has come to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. That which people regard as worthless. People like the blind beggar. People like Zacchaeus, like the woman stooped over, lowly in heart and spirit. So this conversion story is given to us here in Luke 19, so that we may be reminded of all the things Jesus has said in this way throughout the Gospel of Luke. I tell you, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What man of you Having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost one until he finds it. Then we see that there is more joy in heaven over one repentant sinner than over the ninety-nine who need no repentance. In the, the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother is muttering. He's grumbling, right? He's angry at grace. He's a despiser of grace. And the father says to him, it was necessary, it was good that we would celebrate for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. So have you tasted, have you reveled in Have you rejoiced over? Have you treasured the fact that God, by his grace, sends his son that he might seek and save the lost? Have you understood how lost you are without Jesus Christ? Perhaps you want to sort of halfway acknowledge your sin, admit it without confessing it, and then you sort of sneak in by grace, and then all of a sudden you start building up your own standing before God by your own good works. That won't do. That won't do. We are all. We are all to ourselves. We all ought to be the foremost of sinners. For only we know the depths of our own sin. Perhaps you think that your sin, your uh, your wretchedness, your rebellion is too far beyond the reach of the grace of God. That will not do either. 
None are fitter for the comfort of Christ than those who think themselves the furthest off. None are fitter for the comfort of Christ than those who think themselves the furthest off. A holy despair in and of ourselves is the ground of true hope so that we might see and understand how God loves us by his grace and then builds us up and transforms us by his grace so that we might glorify him in our lives and in our hearts. That's the beginning, the middle, the end of the Christian life. The God who dwells in the highest of heavens comes to dwell in the lowliest of hearts. The contrite. He dwells with the contrite and the humble. The lowly spirit he will not drive away. Shall we despair in coming before the throne of grace when we know and we understand that Jesus only appears there for sinners? Jesus does not appear before the throne of grace for perfectly righteous people. He is the perfectly righteous one Uh, appearing there for sin and for sinners. There is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. Have you tasted? Have you understood grace? There is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. He seeks the lost. He brings again that which has wandered. He binds up that which has been broken. He strengthens the weak. He heals our broken hearts. He will not turn away the humble and the contrite. To be like Zacchaeus, drowning in sin, but somehow, someway, understanding he needs to seek the Savior, and then he finds out it was the Savior who was seeking him, because he came to seek and to save the lost. Before Zacchaeus knew who Jesus was, before Zacchaeus realized even even the start of the depths of his sin, Jesus left heaven's glory so that he might seek and he might save the lost. There is more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. Hold on to that and treasure that all your days. Let's pray. Sin, Father, has left a crimson stain Upon us, but in Jesus it is washed white as snow. We think about the how serious, how severe our rebellion is. May we be humbled. May we be humbled by your grace and by your goodness, and may we worship and praise you for it. We think of this this wonderful story, Zacchaeus, saved by grace, transformed, uh, the picture of faith, abandoning all lesser troubles prizing Christ above all, accepted freely by the Savior because of his childlike faith. Father, may we, may we be held and gripped by that grace and may we give you all the glory for it. In Christ's name, amen. Sing three